asked him, I thought he'd be a really good one to keep me on target or in line with my objectives and would he keep me, uh, help me to be accountable uh, for my goals and objectives that I had set for that year. So I showed him my list and he said, okay, let me, let me take it, I'll take it home and, and let me take a look at it. And, and so we met a couple of days later and he told me, he said, Chuck, I saw your list and I thought the first thing I'm going to do is take a big black mark a lot and mark out at least half of it. But he said, I took it home and I looked at it and you know how you had your goals for your, your walk with God, your spiritual life. You talked about your family and your kids and your grandkids and so forth and your health and your business and your personal goals for growth. And he said, man, this, he said, I just, this is fantastic. This is beautiful. That was a term he used. He said, man, this is just beautiful. But he said, you can't do this. And he said, Chuck, in my, in my experience and knowledge, you can really work on about maybe two things at once. That's about it. Maybe three. But generally, you can only focus on a couple of things at a time. So he said, you know, you need to pick out of, the, of, the, of your list what is really important. What is you need to get on right now. This is, this is critically important. And focus on that. And when you have accomplished those, then you can focus on something else. And he said, that's just all we can do. So I thought, that's really good. And that's what I do. I look at my long list and I look at the things in my walk with God, what do I need to work on there. And I may pick out, you know, I, I just, it's time for me to do, I've been wanting to do a study on uh, the, the, the term wonders. Uh, Genesis 18, 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. I know it's impossible. I know it, it biologically it can't happen. But I'll be here next year and she will have a son. And then I said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's what he says. And then Jeremiah 30, 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and stretched out arm. Nothing is too hard for you. The word hard, the word difficult, same word. Uh, Zechariah uh, about 8, 7, it says, uh, uh, if it is too marvelous in the sight, well, what, what the deal, he had told them that you guys are going to leave captivity. You're going back to Jerusalem. I, I tell you, God's going to do that. And then he says, if it is too marvelous in your sight, in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it be too marvelous in my sight? And that's what God says to, to, to Zechariah to tell these people. If it is too marvelous in, 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 your, in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it be too marvelous in my sight? Amazing. Well, that term marvelous, wonderful, hard, th those are all the same word. And so I, I, I began to do a little study on that. But what I found was that... Uh, it, it is a term which describes an incomprehensible power of God to do something. I mean, it is. In, Sarah has a kid. She had already gone. She had already gone through menopause. She was even making eggs. How are you going to have a kid? And God says, "Is anything too difficult for Numbers eleven twenty three? Is the Lord's power limited? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not." And so, you know, that's what it describes. It is just an, an incredible ability of God.
But here's one thing that I found about it. I'm going to study it some more. But it says that God never displays his power to show what he can do. Never. He displays his power only to help his people. He never says, hey, (laughs) watch what I can do. It's always for the benefit of his people. I want to study that. So I picked that out on my list. I picked, you know, I'm going to work on that. It'll take me a couple of good studies. Say, I'm going to work on that. That one's important. I wanted to work on that. So I pick out two or three and I do them. And I, I don't try to take on the whole list. Uh, but one thing, I, when I do that, I'm pretty confident they'll be the right to. I'm not, uh, I'm not doing something that has no contribution to my purpose in life, to what God has called me to be and do. I'm on target. Whatever I do, that whichever one's up, I'm on target with what God has called me to be and to do. So let me give you one other little verse that I really like. John 5, 36, Jesus talking. And Jesus says, uh, uh, for the testimony that I have is greater than the testimony of John, John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus says, you know, that John came, he baptizes in water. He's doing a great work. But I'm giving people sight that are blind. I'm healing people that, that are the, the people that have never walked. I'm giving, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm bringing people back from the dead. And so Jesus says, the testimony which I have is greater than John's. For the works which the Father has sent me to accomplish, comma, the very works that I am doing, comma, testify of me that I am from God. And I, you know what I noticed in that verse? Is, is Jesus says the very the works that God has sent me to accomplish. The by the way the very works that I'm doing, I'm not sidetracked. I'm not waste, I'm like Paul. I'm not wasting. I'm I'm not aimless. I'm not wasting my time. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing what the Father has asked me to do. He's not asked me to do it. He has asked me to accomplish it. And I think I may have told you guys the epitaph that I want on my tombstone or what is that John 17 4 I have glorified thee on the earth I have accomplished the things which I chose that which I called me to do I've accomplished that's what I want I want to go to God says I've glorified you I did what you asked me to do so that's that's the whole part now you can only take on one or two at the time I know that but I just want you to take on the right one or two I don't want you to be busy I want you to be busy doing the right things so that's, uh, let me, just wanted to clarify that. Uh, the, uh, we talked about, I, I shared with you that I thought in coming out that I would share with you things that have just revolutionized, revolutionized my life, changed me permanently, altered who I was. Well, the first one was when I came to Christ. Man, that changed my whole life. The second one was when I met the navigators and they got me in the Bible regularly into the word, flooding your mind with the precious thoughts of God. And not only did they get me in the book, they got the book in me. That changed who I was. I began to live by this book. And it, it, just, it, it just changed everything about me. Uh, so that was the second one. The third one I shared with you this, was this uh, understanding <clears throat> that you are a product of the way you think. And so I wanted to, I shared that, that changed, that changed my whole lifestyle. I mean, 
I, I began to, I was aware of the, of the way out, not what I was thinking, but the way I was thinking. And so that, that was revolutionary to me. That, that just really changed me. And I read these books, The Magic of Thinking Big and The Millionaire Mind and The Five Pieces of the Life Puzzle. And I, I began to see a lifestyle that you can, you can accomplish stuff because you're focused and your thinking is correct. You're not thinking amiss. Anyways, uh, we, we talked about that one. Well, this is the fourth one. And that is, I did a study about, oh, five or six years ago and uh, on the names of God. Uh, I know that God revealed himself by his names. Uh, so I got this book. It's called uh, The Names of God, a guy named Nathan Stone. This thing was written in 1944. This is older than some of you. <clears throat> but not me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, and this thing is still in print. You can still find it. This is a, but I read this book and I thought, this is just incredible. I, I got to read this again. So I read it again and I'm underlining stuff and I'm writing things in the margin and I'm looking up verses and I'm thinking, this is incredible. So I read it again and I took uh, my accountability group. We went through it. But I, uh, in my list, you know, I, I told you I'm a list guy. And in my list of the best books I've ever read, this is on that list. It's in the top five. This is on the, 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 the names of God. That it had a radical impact on me. So that's, uh, that's one of them. Uh, let me just share with you a couple of things that I'm worried about. When I give a talk, uh, there's two things I'm concerned with. Number one is content. And number two is delivery. What did you say and how well did you say it? And I'm, I'm concerned about that. And so when I prepare a talk or some time, that, that's, I, I ask myself, what do you have to say? And how well are you going to say it? Content and delivery. And then there's two other things. And that is what I call instruction and motivation. Did you tell them what they need to do? And did you motivate them to do it? And that's, that's a part of my thinking as I'm preparing. Did you, did you clearly tell them some things that they need to be doing? Leroy, my guy, that, the guy that helped me so much in my Christian life, Leroy Imes, he told me one time, he said, Chuck, anytime you speak, always leave them, leave them at least one clear thing to do. Well, anytime you speak, always leave them at least one clear thing to do. And so I asked myself, that's what, I want to leave you something to do. But the second thing, did I motivate you to do it? Are you ready to, you ready to do it? And so those are two things that, that concern me. One other thing, and this is another thing. that uh, When I do Bible study with men and, uh, and myself, just Bible study on my own, uh, I ask myself three questions. What, so what, and now what? What? What did it say? What did they do? Where did they go? Who was involved? What? Secondly, so what? So what does that mean? So how, what, you, know, you know, what difference does that make? What, so what, and now what? Okay, now what do I do as a result of what I just learned? How does that affect me? How do I apply that? So I always use what, so what, and now what? In my, when, I, when I'm doing personal Bible study. 
Uh, I believe that the problem with most of our sermons that we hear focus too much on the what. They give you all the information. But seldom do they risk delving into so what? The understanding. The, the, the fact, the understanding, and the application. And I think most of our sermons are just basically what? They'll tell you what the Greek word is and what, who did what and when, when they did it and how it happened. And they'll tell you all. They'll explain the text beautifully, but they never say, okay, so what? What do I do? You know, how does that affect? What did that mean? And they don't go there. Uh, it's a little bit of a risk. But I think our, shallow, our sermons don't help us as much. Because that's the so what and the, and the now what is where we grow. That's the, that's the transforming process. Not just knowing the facts, but what the facts mean. And how do I wear it? How do I put it on? So I, uh, I'm concerned tonight. The reason I say this is because I'm concerned tonight that most of the things that I want to say regarding the names of God is the what. I'm going to tell you all about the names of God. <clears throat> But I've tried to come up with enough illustrations and personal examples and, and uh, circumstances and illustrations and stories that you get the so what. Uh, uh, but uh, bear with me, hopefully. And uh, this is life changing. But uh, like me, I've been through this time after time after time. I just dig and dig and dig and dig because it is so rich. I, f I, found, a, I found a vein of gold and I just keep following it. That's this, this, this sermon, this uh, talk tonight. I've also got a sign in my office. It's a little, you know, little card. And I got it plugged into uh, the, my wall right in front of me. You know what it says? Preaching to large crowds is radically insufficient. I tell myself that. Preaching to large crowds is radically insufficient. Because when I stand up here and preach to you, I have no accountability whatsoever. If you got it, I'm not, I'm not accountable. If you didn't get it, if you learned something or you did learn something, you're not accountable. And so we can go through the motion of that we're accomplishing something when in reality we're not. And so preaching to large crowds is radically insufficient. What do we need? We need to get down to personal application, discussions about what that means and how do I wear that and what does that mean to my life and how can that change me and what do I need to be doing. Then it, it, it's, it's sufficient. Then it does something. Then it's meaningful. But I, I, I don't want to fool myself into believing that I can stand up here tonight and really mean something to you. I can, wait, I can be wasting my time unless we get the so, the so what and the, and the now what. But, okay, let me, let me get into the names of God. Walt Hendrickson uh, was, a, was a man that meant a tremendous... Uh, it, Walt was a tremendous man of God. I probably knew the word better than any man I'd ever known. And I used to meet with Walt on a regular basis. I, uh, he, was, he was a guy that I would call whenever I was uh, struggling. Uh, I had Walt, on my, when I had an asphalt paving business, Walt was on my board. And I told Walt, I said, I want you on my board, please. 
But Walt, you ask me any question you want to at any time on any subject, and I promise you I'll tell you the truth. But you, when you come and you check on my company and how we're doing business, you ask me anything. I want to walk, I want to walk with God. I want to do this right. I want God to be pleased. But you ask me anything, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. He was on my board. He told me one day, and this is a good comment, every struggle that a man has is directly related to his concept of God. Every, now I'm not talking about if you got a bad cold or you got the flu, I'm not talking, but I'm talking about every struggle that a man has is directly related, directly related to his concept of God. Who is God to you? And, and I spend time with people, and I've done it here at the camp, and you spend time, and you, it comes down, my question comes down is, who is God to you? You're struggling with this problem, but the question is not the, the question is not the, you know, the problem that you're struggling with. The problem is, who is God to you? Because I think that's where the problem is. But every, every uh, the way you make decisions, the way you react to circumstances, the way you think, the way you face problems are directly related to, to who is God to you. Um, let me read you something. Here's the, uh, I think it's, over. I brought it. Uh, yeah, here it is. This is the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession. This joking thing was written in 1647. You believe that? I didn't even know they could read back in those days. <laughs> but, but this is the Westminster Confession. I mean, the, the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession. You need to download this and read this thing. This thing will rock your socks. You need to, you need to read this. And, uh, but, but what they do is question and answer. And they give verses to go with it. But the, you know what the first question is that, the, that they ask? The very first question. The most important thing that I can ask you and that, that, and that is, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? And they asked that question for number one. What is the chief end of man? You know what they answered it? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Is that not beautiful or what? The chief and the reason that we are here, the prime reason that we're here is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's just amazing. That that is the chief end of man. Then he goes on to say, you know, what rule has God given? I mean, it's it's phenomenal stuff, just phenomenal. You need to download that, print it out, and uh, and read that. It's... it's, uh, that gives you a, a depth of understanding of what the purposes of God. It's phenomenal. So, John seventeen three says, "This is life eternal that they may know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent." This is life eternal. And so, when do you when do you have eternal life? And the answer is the minute you accept Jesus, not when you go to heaven. You have eternal life. I mean, the second you, you accept Jesus. And this is life eternally. But you know what life eternal is? That they, may know, that they may know thee. That they may know God and his son. David was, uh, was on, basically on his deathbed. He was dying. Uh, Sol- he called Solomon in, his son, who was taken over. 
And I've often thought, what would, if I knew I was dying, what would I tell my kid? What would I tell my son? What would be my parting wisdom to him? And this, this is what we got it recorded here as for David. You know what he told his son? And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy fathers and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. That's what David said on his deathbed to his son. Solomon, know God. So that's what we're studying. That's why we're studying this tonight. We're going to study who is God. We're going to study the, the names of God, the attributes of God. And I'm afraid it's mostly what and not a, not a whole lot of now what or, or so what. But uh, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to study this. Just hang with me. Put up with me. Uh, wake each other up from a nap every now and then. But uh, <clears throat> here is my, my longing. Uh, Exodus 33 verse 13. Moses, who had a great relationship with God. And Moses says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight. He's talking to God. He says, God, if you like me, God, if, and now therefore, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways that I may know thee. That was his quote. God, I, I beg of you, let me know you. And then, and, uh, he, you know, he, Psalms 103, verse 7, little, psalm, little verse stuck in there says, he made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the children of men. The children of men, the people knew what God did. They saw his acts, the parting of the Red Sea, et cetera, et cetera. But Moses knew God. The people knew his acts. Moses knew God. That is a world of difference. And the longing of my heart is, dear God, let me know you. Reveal yourself to me in the scripture. God, may, may I see you. And I long for that. I beg God for that. I would hope that you would too. You know, Paul, the only two that I know in the Bible that did that was Paul and Moses. And Paul says, but whatsoever things were gained to me, and he had significant gains, those I counted loss for Christ. Yeah, I count all things but loss for the priceless privilege of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, man, that is a priceless privilege. I know Jesus. That's the, the longing of, that is the longing of my heart. Well, let's get into some of the names of God. Um, uh, the first name that, uh, of God that's, that's revealed to us is in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Uh, that's Elohim. That is, that is his name. Now, the word Elohim is, is uh, basically mean it is just the incredible power of God. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. I mean, that is incredible power that you, that you can do that. And that was Elohim. Elohim is mentioned 31 times in Genesis chapter 1. 31 times. Actually, in fact, I think it's 32. But it just means supreme power, supreme omnipotence. It is the ability to create and to govern what he has created. That's what Elohim, the, uh, I memorized another verse in Psalms 33, verses 6 and verse 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, 
and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and they stood forth. God simply, Elohim, spoke the world into existence. Un- incredible power. Um, the, the word the Elohim is used, let me tell you, I think I've got the number. It's used 2,570 times when it just says God is talking about Elohim. For instance, do you know when Jesus fed the 5,000? That God that it mentions, when he, that was Jesus. I mean, that was Elohim. It was Elohim that took those two loaves of bread and fed 10,000 people, men and women combined, children, probably 10,000 people. It was Elohim that took those two little fish and those, those loaves of bread and fed 10,000 people. That was Elohim. Elohim, by the way, is always plural. Uh, that's why it says, let us make man in our image. In, in Genesis 1, I think it's about 25 or 26, 26. Let us make man in our, because Elohim is always plural. It's more than one. It's the Trinity. But amazing. And I'm going uh, to skip a whole lot of stuff I've got here. I can just revel in this stuff. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. At the, I don't want to spoil it and tell, tell you right now. I'm going to tell you at the very end if I don't forget it, which I might. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I'm not too good. But uh, I hope to remember to tell you about, about, about these names. But uh, let me go to the second name. The second name is Jehovah. Now, this is the name that's most often used for God. 6,823 times it is Jehovah. Now, here's the thing. It is first used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. But what happens is that Elohim was the creator God, the all-powerful God. But when, when God made man, he needed more than a creator. He needed a redeemer. And Jehovah comes on the scene as the God who demands that you be righteous. When Adam and Eve sinned, you know who went looking for them? Jehovah. That was not Elohim. Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 2, and it was Jehovah who came seeking for them to redeem them. It was Jehovah that, that, that killed the two animals and provided the skins to close them. That was Jehovah. It, it was, it, Jehovah demands that we be righteous. He is the one who requires that we be righteous. Of God of righteousness, holiness, love, and redemption. Uh, Jehovah called man into existence. Now get this. As the one being on earth, the one thing that he created who had the capacity to enjoy God. Can you believe that? Of all the creation of God. The only thing that he created that could enjoy him was us. We have the capacity to enjoy God if we are righteous. It's just amazing. But I wrote down the attributes that appear in the name Jehovah were not needed in the creation of the world. But they were needed when man came forth. Now we needed Jehovah. We needed the God of righteousness. 
By the way, when, uh, when Satan confronted Eve, yea, hath God said, who is that God? Who is he talking about? He was talking about Elohim. Yea, has Elohim said? He didn't dare use the name. Yea, has Jehovah, the God who calls you to righteousness. He knew he wouldn't have a prayer with Eve if he used the name Jehovah, the God who calls you to righteousness. He used the name Elohim, the great creator. Yea, hath God said Elohim. When uh, I just I skip around here a little bit. Uh, at the flood, it was Elohim who loaded the boat. Okay, you and you on the boat. All right, you and you on the boat. It was Elohim who put those animals on that boat. It wasn't Noah, and it wasn't Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. It was Elohim. He loaded the boat. And he said, okay, you tiger, tiger one, tiger, on the boat. <laughs> and they got on the boat. Okay, you, all right, sheep one, sheep two, on the boat. And they, that's how it happened. Elohim did it, except they loaded some animals that they were going to use for sacrifice when, they, when they, the floods receded and they opened the ark and came forth. Then Noah sacrificed some animals in thanksgiving to the work of God. You know who loaded those animals for the sacrifice? Jehovah. Jehovah brought the clean animals on for the sacrifice that would be given in thanksgiving to what God had done. That was Jehovah. When Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was, Jeho it was Elohim that said, take your son Isaac and go to the place where I will show you and there sacrifice him to me. That was Elohim. You take your son Isaac but it was Jehovah that supplied the ram. That was Jehovah. He stepped in and he supplied the redemption. He supplied the sacrifice for your, for your son. It was Jehovah. And as you read these things and study, you think, you just think, you know, what a, the, the great mind of God who did all this stuff and figured all this stuff and, and had all these ways. It is so beautiful. But it's just, uh, it's amazing. Jehovah is the supreme name of God. The other names have mostly to do what God did. Jehovah has to do who God is. It is who is God, Jehovah. But, um, well, I'll skip a bunch of stuff here. Um, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. It is Jehovah who calls you to righteousness, who demands that we be righteous. Um, Jehovah is ever seeking the restoration of man it was Jehovah who went looking for Adam weak helpless man finds that he needs more than the mighty omnipotent Elohim. He needs the favor and the fellowship of the divine, which is Jehovah. Hmm, amazing. The third, the third name, let me discuss another one, and that is the name, the third one that comes up in Scripture, Genesis 17, 1, is El Shaddai. You know, do you guys know that song that Amy Grant, I think, sang the song El Shaddai? 
Oh, what a phenomenal song. I listen to that thing. You know, every now and then in my office, I just break down and waste, the, waste some time. And I will go on my laptop and I will pull up Amy Grant singing El Shaddai. And I'll listen to it over and over and over. It is such a beautiful song, El Shaddai. When, uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. That's what he appeared to Abraham in Genesis 17, 1. So, what is it? What does El, El Shaddai mean? Well, what it doesn't mean, we think it does, but what it doesn't mean is the power to do anything and everything at any time. El Shaddai, God Almighty. That's not what it means. The word uh, El um, is God. That's God Almighty just in the word El. What is Shaddai? This is a freak you out. El Shaddai. You know what Shaddai is in the, in the Greek? It means breast. What? <laughs> it means breast. And you know, what, you know what the name is of God? It's God saying, I nourish you, I feed you. And then the word means... I am your all-sufficient one. I am God, and I nourish and care for you. I am the only, I'm all that you need. I am your all-sufficiency. That's what the name means. I am El Shaddai. I am all that you need. That's what the word means. Amazing, amazing. It means the, mighty, the almighty God who is enough. That's what it means. So I, I was stunned, but, it, you know, the word, it's found 48 times in the Old Testament. Here's something that's stunning. 31 of those is in the book of Job. And you go, what? 31 of the 48 was in the book of Job. And as I, you know, I studied it because, here it is, let me read you. It's because the all-sufficient one who nourishes, who supplies, who satisfies most often finds it necessary to purge us, to chasten us, that we may bring forth more fruit, and might I say, better fruit. It is the work of El Shaddai to first remove that which is deficient in order to replace it with his sufficiency. And so that El Shaddai will work in your life to remove that that you're counting on, that you're leaning on, which is deficient in order to replace it with his all-sufficiency. That is El Shaddai. I, uh, I'm not, not much on poetry, but let me give you a point, okay? Okay, I'm not much on poetry. One by one. I've been here. I've been, uh, uh, this, poet, this poem is me. One by one, he took them from me. All the things I valued most until I was empty-handed. Every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty until I heard a voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. 
So I held my hands toward heaven and he filled them with the store of his own abundant riches till they could hold no more. And at last I contemplated with my foolish mind so dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. And that's what he does. He removes that which in your life you're leaning on, you're counting on, you love it, and it is insufficient to carry you through life victoriously, and he replaces it with that which is sufficient. That's what Elohim, Elohim, God Almighty, that's what he does, who cares for you, who nourishes you, who is your all-sufficiency. Gang, this is, this is our God. I'm talking, this is our God. Amazing. Let me go to another one. I wrote down here, he is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one who nourishes, who satisfies. And then I made a note, and he still is. He still is. Let me give you the fourth name. This one is Adonai. And uh, when, we, when I read this book, this was kind of a shaker because Adonai means the, the, the absolute master. I own and am, am, and am over everything you are and everything that you have. I am your master. You are my bond slave. And that's what the word Adonai means. The Adonai indicates the truth that God is the owner of each member of the human race and consequently claims the unrestricted obedience of all. That's Adonai. He owns you and he, and he demands the unrestricted obedience of you. Adonai. He is master. Mo, Abraham called God Adonai. Moses at the burning bush. You remember when Moses came to the burning bush and he said, and he, he addressed God. He addressed him as Adonai, my master. You know, it was, uh, let's give you, when the, the apostle Paul was on his way to Damascus and you know, the, 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 the light struck him down to his knees and he fell to his knees with his face in the dirt. And he says, he says what? Who art thou, Lord? Right? You know what he said? Who art thou, Adonai, my absolute master? And that's what Paul said. He knew it. He knew it. When that light knocked him to his knees, he knew who he was dealing with. He knew he was dealing with Adonai, my master. It's amazing to me. David used the phrase, I am your servant. Um, let me see if I've got one other point over here. But I was, I've been through some real tough times. I mean, some real hard times. Give you an illustration. When we sold our asphalt paving business, we had about $4 million. Woo! <laughs> Not bad. And then we had some uh, double-crossing business deals, some cheating and some lawsuits and we went from four million dollars to forty thousand dollars in debt that ain't fun it didn't happen overnight it took us several years but i mean it ripped it 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 basically skint us it ripped us it of everything we had we lost everything so we go through some hard times so i'm meeting with walt my buddy and walt asked me he said chuck if God were to say to you, I know you're going through some hard times. I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. 
but I'm doing a great work in your life. But if you want me to stop, I will. What would you tell him? That's what Walt asked me. I know you, God comes to you and he says, I know, I know you're struggling. I know things are hard right now. I know there's some pain involved. But just let me tell you, I'm doing a great work in your life. But if you want me to quit, I will. What are you going to tell him? And I thought, I said, well, I thought to myself, and when Walt asked you a question, it's not frivolous. I mean, it's serious. And it's time, he wants, I mean, it's time to dig deep. And I thought about that. And I thought about, hmm, no more pain, no more difficulty. You know, I could just live a normal Christian life. I won't have to worry about trials and temptations and struggles. I'll just be a normal little old Christian. And I finally told Walter, I looked at him and I said, Walter, I, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. And I told him, I said, I cannot say no to a God who loves me and wants the very best for me. I, I, I can't say no. That's, uh, but, but Adonai owns me. I, I remember I thought of 1 Corinthians 6, about 18, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price, and he bought me. He bought me out of the slave market of sin and paid a tremendous price that I might know him and be freed from sin. He is my master. He is my Lord. And I'm just like Paul. Who art thou, Adonai? Um, let me, uh, we'll move on. Number five. Was Jehovah Yireh, uh, Yireh, or uh, that's how it's pronounced, Yireh. It means God is my provider. That's, that was when, when, when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, and, and Jehovah provided the lamb, the ram, for the sacrifice. And God named him God, Jehovah Yireh. God is my provider. Now, let me, uh, I want to tell you something. I, uh, I've had some pretty stiff, I've had some pretty honest conversations with God. And let me just tell you, I, I am not defiant. I never defy God. He is my master. I got that. And I'm, set, I'm settled with that. I am happy with that. But I have some very honest conversations with God. And I might as well. He knows what I'm thinking. So I might as well say it, right? But I told the Lord one time, you know, we're, we're, we don't have any money. I'm living on Social Security, trying to, and you can't do that. I'm borrowing money from a good buddy of mine. I'm borrowing money from my sister. That's embarrassing. But I'm, I'm, it's, I mean, we are struggling. And so I say to God, I said, Lord, I memorized the verse. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Where are they? And I, and I say to him, Lord, you said Philippians 4, 19, uh, you know, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And I read Romans 8, 32, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And said, God, I did that. You say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I did that. My wife has done that. 
for crying out loud, my kids have done that. And we're all hurting. Why aren't you keeping your side of the deal? I'm having this rather, I'm nice about it. I'm not, I'm kind of saying it emphatically here, but I, I know where the line is with God. I don't cross the line with God. So, so but I'm talking, those are honest questions. God, where are you? I mean, you promised this. I've done my part. What's the deal? And that's when I learned the lesson. I can tell you where I was sitting, what time of the day it was, when it, when it dawned on me. By the way, you know the guy who stayed up all night working on a problem? Finally, it dawned on him. <laughs> okay. You'll catch it later. You'll get it later. <laughs> You'll get it later. Okay. <clears throat> but I can tell you where I was sitting when, it, when I became, when I realized this. You know what the, what the truth is? You know what I realized about God? Is that God will sometimes take his, set aside his promises to you. He will set those aside in order to accomplish his purpose for you. And when that realization came to mind, I, write that, I wrote that in my journal. And I almost wept because I realized that God loved me enough that he would set aside what he had promised me in order to fulfill what he, had, what he wanted to make of me. He could not give me everything I needed at all the time and change my life like he wanted to. He had to bring me up to a place of destitution, of just heartache, so he could be God to me. And it is, I, I, I worshipped him. I just prayed. I thanked him. But that's, uh, you know, Harv Ecker made a comment. I recommended his book, you know, The, the Million of Mine. He made a comment. He said, you know, the best way to help the poor is not to be one. And I, I, I want to help people. And I had nothing. And it bothered me. But, um, uh, you know, a little, uh, not to make money the emphasis here, but you got to live on something. Um, you know, I sold, our, I sold my house, and we were in this state of just, I, I wasn't making it. I mean, I'm working as much as I can, and we're, we're just not. By the way, when the state took off after us, I'm an insurance agent, and he took off after us, and they sued us. The state sued me, and it was a total lie, and they knew it was a lie. That didn't bother them because they wanted to break me. They wanted to put me out of business. I was doing something they didn't like, although it was totally legal and totally right and totally a great thing. Uh, I could get into the details, but so, so the state sues me and, uh, we, we're just, uh, we, we just, we, we just are, are losing everything. But, um, uh, um, I'll get, let me get back to that in a minute. I, uh, so what? Uh, we, I, sold our, I sold our home. We were going to move down and move in with our kids. We couldn't afford a home anymore. We were going to move in with our kids. Boy, if that's... I was not looking forward to that. Uh, so I sold my home, and then I owned a lot next to us. So I sold that. And, and the market had jumped up about that time, and I got a pretty good price for that. And then a guy called me, and he said, Chosk, I don't know if you know about this investment, but if you put your money here, it's very safe, and it's making 7% a year. I said, wow. So I put everything I had into that investment. 
And that pays us enough added to Social Security that we're meeting our needs. We're not, we don't have any plus, but we can pay my, I can pay the bills every month. <laughs> wow. It's just, it's just a new feeling, you know. <laughs> but so what I'm saying, you know, God says, Chuck, don't, uh, you're going to go through some thin times. But listen, Chuck, I am your God and I am God of everything. You can trust me. You can depend on me. You can lean on me. I am El Shaddai. I am your all-sufficiency. I am Elohim. I am Jehovah. I am Adonai. You can lean on me. You can depend on me. And, and I just can't, I can't explain. But my son, he, they were hurting. He got a new job. And, it, and then he got a promotion. Uh, he wasn't qualified for the promotion because he hadn't been there long enough. But he was doing such a good job. They gave it to him anyway. And then they gave him a $22,000 raise. Not bad. He's doing great now. I'm just phenomenal. Thank you, God. But uh, you know what, God, uh, the whole, you know, the, the, the basis of all trial, the reason for all trial is that you might come to trust him more. I think that that is the primary reason that we go through difficult times that we might come to trust him more. That's what he wants. That's what he's working on us all that time. Well, let me keep going here. Uh, that was Jehovah Yireh. God is my provider. The next one is Jehovah Rophe, which is basically God is my healer. It means to heal or to cure, to restore. Do you know that every, I could not find a time, every single time, without exception, when someone came to the Jesus in the New Testament, he healed them. He did not fail to heal anybody, ever. Every time they came to him, he healed them. In Matthew 9, 29, it says, the blind man says, uh, he, Jesus says, what would you like for me to do for you? And he says, Master, that you would restore our sight. Matthew 9, 29, tremendous verse. Then touched he their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And he healed them. According to your faith, be it unto you. But in Jesus comes to his hometown in Matthew 13, verse 58, and he said, and they, they said, well, who is this? And, and this Marius and Joseph's boy? I mean, isn't he the carpenter that you Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And the next verse says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So uh, let me just tell you, uh, this is a, I'm kind of a unzipping and letting you look in here. But uh, i got a bunch of people that I pray for. It bothers me. So i got my Bible. And when I open my quiet time Bible, and when I open my Bible, it opens up to my quiet time where I am. i got a picture of my family there. And I pray. You know what I pray for my family? Jeremiah 24-7, and I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. God, I beg of you, give my kids a hunger and a heart to know you. That's what I pray for my kids. And then I pray, God, would you, would you be choose, would you be pleased to choose and use every one of my kids and my grandkids as laborers in your harvest field? That's what I pray for my kids. My wife and I pray that. I got another list. Here's my little list. On one side of the list is a bunch of kids that are struggling. 
That little kid named Eli got leukemia. He was four years old. I think, good night. Uh, I, had a, I was teaching a Colossians 2-7 class at uh, Stonebar Baptist, I mean Stonebar Community Church in Frisco. Chuck Swindoll is the pastor there. And I was teaching this Bible study. And so this, this woman named Becky comes and brings her daughter named Lauren. And they sit down at my table. And Lauren is autistic. And she sits there and looks straight ahead. She never moves. She just looks straight ahead. And her mom, Becky, I don't know where the dad is. I guess he left. But uh, here's Lauren. And she looks like she's about 15. Her mom told me later on she was 28. Little old, sweet little old gal sitting there, autistic, never said a word, never moved. And so as I'm leading the Bible study, I would come around to her and I say, well, uh, Lauren, what is your answer on number six? And she would read her answer for number six. And it was always just tremendously insightful. I couldn't believe it. Man, her, her, her answer was just spot on. But she would never say it. She wouldn't explain anything. She wouldn't answer any. She wouldn't dialogue with anybody. No conversation at the table. She would just sit there and stoically stare ahead. Her mom told me one day, and I just about had a come apart. Her mom says, you know, she's, she's gotten a job down at, uh, let me see where it was. I think it was, uh, uh, the, you know, the Red Lobster. I think it was down at the Red Lobster. And her mom was telling me, she, you know, she's got a job down at the Red Lobster. And they were so sweet to her. They let her roll the silverware. And I just about died. And I go to God and I say, God in heaven, is that all? I mean, here's this, here's this little old gal and who, as sweet as she can be, and she's rolling silverware. Is that what you made her for? To go down to Red Lobster and roll silverware? My God in heaven, is that it? And so I just got a burden. And I started praying. And I prayed for, uh, I got a kid named uh, Mark. He's five. When he was born, uh, the nerve endings, the nerves that go down all the way through his colon down to his, uh, his rectum didn't develop. So he can't poop. So you got this little baby, he's two or three days, he can't poop. And so they think, what? And so the doctors provide some kind of a little uh, metal device or tube device that they'd have to er insert up to his rectum and it was painful and he would cry and he would bleed and it would hurt for every time he needed to go to the bathroom, every time. And so they go to different specialists everywhere and nobody knows what this is, what to do. We can't make the nerves grow, blah, blah, blah. So we can't, here's what we'll do. We'll cut a hole in his gut right about his navel, insert a metal tube in his colon and he can go to the bathroom that way. And I'm just dying. This is my buddy, PJ, his wife, Jennifer, their little boy, Mark. So I go to God. I make a deal with God. You know, uh, let me give you a verse. Let me see if I can. I, I got to. Yeah. Isaiah. Let me give you Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establish and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. 
So I read that and I thought, God, I'm not going to give you any break. I'm not going to give you any rest. I'm going to bug you to death until you do something about Lauren, until you do something about David. I know another guy. He's out in uh, San Diego. He's just very, very physically deformed. He's been in a, a, a special chair. He can't talk. He can't do anything. He's about probably 35 now. His, you know, his name is Shad. And I pray for Shad. I pray, I pray for these kids. And I bring these to God. I say, God, I'm not going to give you any rest. I'm not going to give you any slack until you do something for these kids. And one of the things that I prayed, I said, God, I read in the New Testament where you heal people. I have never seen you heal anybody. I want to see you heal somebody. Before I die, dear God, I want to see you heal somebody right then. An instant healing. You changed his life right then. I've never seen that. I want to see, I want to see the mighty works of God. And I'm going to bug you until I see that. And he spake, Luke 18, 1. He spoke a parable to, to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's what I'm going to do. So I just, uh, I got these kids. I got Mark and AJ and goodness, I just, uh, Carla, you know, got skin cancer and Judd has got some, in some, he scratches himself. He's a year and a half old and he scratches himself till he bleeds. I just, God in heaven, God in heaven. But I pray these, I pray these, I pray for these people. Uh, every other day, I pray one side one day, one side the next day. But I pray for these people. And I'm not fussing at God because God is a God of purpose. He knows what he's doing. And guess what? I ain't smart enough to figure it out. So I trust him. The folk, his parents, their parents trust them, trust him. But that doesn't mean that God can't, can't do a mighty work. And so that's what I pray. Jehovah, you know, Jehovah Rophe, the God, God, my healer. I, uh, I don't mean to get uh, uh, emotional or I don't mean to get uh, mad. I'm just mean to get honest. And this God that I worship with all my heart can, can fix that. I know he can. I ask him to. Um, Uh, you know, I memorized about it. That helps me. Luke, Luke 11, I think it's about 5 through 10. Which of you has a friend? Which of you shall have a friend that comes to him at, to, at midnight and say, Friend, give me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he will say, The door is already locked. He said, do not bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And then Jesus says, I tell you. And I can just see Jesus talking to the disciples. And he says, I tell you. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his shameless persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he wants. And so I say to you, ask and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. And I say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do that. I am going to be shamelessly persistent 
just like you told us to be, that you would do something about Lauren, that you would do something about Eli, that you would do something for Carla, and that you would do something for Mark. And uh, anyway, I pray that to Jehovah Rophe because he is the God who heals. Um, I'll give you one, maybe one more. Uh, we're about out of time, I guess. I don't know. But uh, Jehovah Nisi means I am your banner. The Amalekites came and attacked the people of Israel trying to come out of Egypt and they would attack the stragglers toward the end of the, of the, of the convoy, uh, toward the end of the, of the troops, the stragglers. So they have a battle, the Israelites and the, and the Amalekites. And it says, so Joseph, then Moses goes up on the top of the mount and he holds his hands up in prayer to God. And uh, I think it's uh, Exodus 17, 11, and so it says, so it came about when Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed. And when he, just, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. So, who's fighting your battles for you? So what happened is a couple of his men got next to him and they held his hands up and they just wiped out the Amalekites because Moses never let his hands down and God fought their battle. God fought the battle for them and they, they were victorious. So I write down, who do you depend on to fight your battles? When you, when you need help, who do you call on? Let me give you a story that's just weird. I'm in, uh, I've put in an asphalt. When I left, the, left uh, BSU at Oklahoma, I, went, I wanted to be uh, a, a civilian. I mean, I wanted to be a, a man among them. I wanted to be a businessman. I'd been ministering to students for 11 years, and I just thought, you know, I, I, I just don't feel at home here. I want to get out amongst them, among businessmen. So I did. I left uh, student work. I moved to Longview, Texas, and put an asphalt paving plant. I paid $2 million for that thing. I bought 16 acres of land. That was also expensive. And then I spent all the money erecting that thing, pouring the concrete foundation, setting that thing up. And it was about six months doing that. I'm in debt. I owe a lot of money. I got to do a lot of work to pay. I got to produce a lot of asphalt, asphalt, you know what they call hot mix asphalt concrete to pay for that. So I go to the, uh, the state of Texas has districts all around. There's 26 of them. Well, the district that was in Longview was, run, was the district engineer was a guy named Robert Davis. Now, he would write up all the plans and the proposals for any highway resurfacing with asphalt that needed to be done. He would write the proposals, come out of his office. And so he would write this proposal. Now, I had a new plant. I had a brand new, it was a modern plant. It was what they call a continuous mix. Com computer controlled, it was, it was top of the line. It was the, the, the latest. My competitor had an old, old plant that would weigh out that, you know, you'd have to do all the things by hand and you'd mix up one batch, drop that in a truck, mix up another batch, drop that in a truck. Slow. It was called a batch plant. Mine was a continuous mix. But Davis would write those plans and proposals that said you can only, you, you can only supply the asphalt from a batch plant. 
I, I couldn't I couldn't bid on the jobs. I, it was not I, I couldn't even supply. Mine was a continuous mix. And so he kept writing these proposals, demanding or stating in the contract that it had the asphalt had to come from a batch plant. So I go to him. I mean, I, I beg him. I go to him. I said, Mr. Davis, would you give me a chance? Well, we'll think of it. Anyway, I, this went on for a couple of years. And I'm needing, to, I'm needing some contracts in order to make enough money to begin to pay my notes. So finally, I go to him. And uh, he's, uh, I go to him. And I, and I remember I, I walked into his office. There was a, you drove up my pickup and you walked up on the porch. And then you walked in, off the porch into his office. And I said, Mr. Davis... Uh, let me just ask you to, to give me one chance. Make, give one construction job that requires asphalt paving. And I don't care if it's a real small one, but I want to prove to you that I can make a quality mix better than my competitor. I can make it faster. We can finish that job a lot because I can produce a lot more and do that job faster. And I can produce a better mix. Give me a chance. Just one, one small job. And so I... Sounds logical to me. And he's sitting there at his chair. And he says, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you when you can have, I'll tell you when I'll give you one job. I'll give you one job in five years because that's when I retire. But until that time, uh-uh. Well, that's it for me. I'm broke. I can't, I have no work. I, I, what am I going to do? And I, I, I just, I have begged him. I said, you know, I, so I walk out of his office, I walk out on a little porch to the rail there. And I say, you know, God, I've, I've done all I can do. I've, I've tried to live by the book of Proverbs. I've tried to treat people right. I've tried to make a good product. I've tried to make it competitively priced. I've been humble. I've served people. I, God, what else can I do? Uh, what, what do I do? And you're talking about destitute because you're looking at bankruptcy. And you know, a thought came to mind, what if he got transferred? <laughs> now that's an idea. <laughs> what if he get moved? What? And so I said, you know, God, that's a great idea. Why don't you move him? <laughs> Why don't you transfer? Why don't you move him? And all of a sudden, you know, like Bob was talking about, my whole attitude changed. You know why? Because I changed my thinking. I went from despondency to hope. I said, wow. You know, so I went back, got my, walked down the stairs, got my pickup, and drove back to my office. Two days later, two, my, the Longview Journal, they delivered the, the paper, and it took at least 10 minutes to read the whole thing. But I'm sitting in my office, and they deliver the Longview Journal, so I pick up the paper. This is two mornings later, and I'm opening this thing page to page to page, and, open, and there's his picture, about a three by five or so. I said, what's old Davis up to now? What's he done now? I didn't realize I was reading the obituaries. That's right. He went home that night and died in his sleep from a heart attack. He never saw another sunrise. And I got out on my knees right then. And I say, God, you know that was not in my heart. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> I'm telling you. He, he never saw another sunrise. Well, get this. Normally, 
th these are districts, right? And, the, and in each district, they have certain sub-offices. But in the district, which was down in Tyler, the associate district engineer usually takes the place if there's an opening for a, for a, a, a regional job. Well, but what happened is that the state of Texas has 26 of these districts. Well, some of them are down in South Texas, down close to the Rio Grande, and you ain't got nobody. You got a lot of bunch, you got long roads, but very little highways, and not very many people. And so they decided at this time that we're going to consolidate two of those into one, which means we got an extra engineer. What we're going to do with this guy? I know. Let's send him to Longview. Now, the guy in Tyler that should have been given that slot, he got bumped by the guy coming out of the Rio Valley. So he gets mad and quits. He retires. That guy didn't like me either. He was trying to hinder me too. So the two guys that were totally against me were gone in one week. <laughs> the guy that brought in, he was a mod He loved computer control. He loved continuous mix. <laughs> he loved it. I, I can, now I can bid on stuff. I can, I, I can compete. I bought out my competition nine months later. I bought those bad boys out. <laughs> so I'm telling you. So, so let me ask, who's, who's fighting your battles for you? I mean, seriously, who's, you got troubles, you got enemies, you got people, who's fight, who do you trust to do that for you? I walked out on that porch and I said, God, that's who I'm, who's fighting my battles. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. I've done everything I know to do. God, what do we do? God fights my battles. It is God who is Jehovah Nisi to me. He is my banner. I can't tell you. I don't know. How many, I'll tell you another one. <laughs> I have a move an asphalt plant up to Texarkana. Got him. David was the uh, engineer. <clears throat> Haughty, just almost repulsively arrogant. But he, was, he had the authority to tell me what to do. <clears throat> and he made life absolutely miserable. I had men that would come in from paving crews that would come in from the job and says, he'd say, Chuck, we're not going out there anymore. I can't, I, can't, I can't work under that. I can't work under such dictatorial, oppressive uh, supervision. I, we, I can't do that. I, I, Chuck, I'm not going out there anymore. So I'd go to, you know, I went to David a bunch of times. I talked to him. I said, you know, anyway, he was, he was always just arrogant. So finally, you know what I did? I said, God, move him. Now, I will tell you, I got out on my knees and I said, I'm not asking you to kill him. <laughs> so, I said, I'm serious. I did. I did. But I mean, it, it just made life miserable. You didn't, you did not want to go to work. You didn't want to go out on the job. It just made life miserable. And so I said, God, move him. Now, nothing happened. Uh, but six weeks later. One of the rock salesmen, Gifford Hill, calls me, and he said, Hey, Chuck, do you hear what happened to David? I said, uh, No. He said, Well, he got to messing around with one of his women, women inspectors, and they fired him. He's gone. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was just, life just got smooth. It, got, it just got so, it, it just turned beautiful. The, you know, but 
You know, who's fighting your battles for you? Who are you leaning on? Who are you depending on? When I had rough times with this guy, I went to God. I said, God, you know, I, I've done everything I can possibly do. Can you help me? Can you remove this guy? Can you help us? Who are you, who are you depending on? I just... Uh, Jehovah M. Kedish, the God who sanctifies you, who sets you apart. You know, one of my favorite verses, Psalms 2.8. It says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. Isn't that a neat thought? And, it, and the psalmist says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. And I don't, can't tell you how many times I have begged God, God, would you please, sanct- would you set me apart for yourself? Would you claim me for yourself? I want, I want to be yours. And I pray that. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. God set me apart. Claim me for yourself. Make me yours. You're someone, someone that follows you, that you can call on, that you can use, that you can work through. God, make me yours. And I pray that. Jehovah M. Kedish, the God who sets you apart, the God who sanctifies you. Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. Now, let me give you one more, and I'll quit. Jehovah Shammah. <clears throat> let me uh, look up a verse real quick. But Jehovah Shammah, oops, well, I'll just quote it to you. But uh, Jacob, in Genesis, I mean, in Genesis about, I think it's uh, 42, 5, I'll have to look that up. But he says, let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will build an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me everywhere I have gone. Did you hear that? Let me build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me everywhere I have gone. Uh, Jehovah Shammah means I am with you. I, in fact, it means I have never not been with you. Now, I was talking to a gal, and she mentioned here at, at, at the, the camp, and she said, you know, I had a couple of years where I just kind of bailed out. I, I left. I, I just quit following God. And for several years, I just left him. And she said, I feel bad about that. But what I shared with her, I said, well, let me tell you, God never left you. Even in your rebellion. Even in your sin, even in your rejection, God has never left you. That's what he has promised. I am Jehovah Shammah. I am the God who is there. And Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The God Who Is There. That's it. Jehovah Shammah. I am the God who is there. He gave that name to them when they were in captivity through Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in captivity. And he told them, you guys are going to go back. But what he told them, he says, God has never left you. Even in captivity. Even when you were rebellious down in Jerusalem and you would not follow him and you would not obey his commands, he was still, God never left you. And that's, gang, that's us. God has never, has never left you. 
He is always with you. Jehovah Shammah, I am the God who is there. Now, let me tell you, I finished this study, and uh, I was amazed. I was just overcome. And then I realized something. You know, in Genesis, he reveals, you know, that he's Jehovah, he's the El Shaddai, or he is, he is, um, the God, you know, the, the, he is Elohim, he, Elohim, or he is Jehovah, and he's Adonai. He reveals these names at period of time, one by one, as we go through the scripture. And then I realized, you know, but he's all of that, all of the time, to me. I've got all of that. I've got all of God, all of the time. I've got he. I've got I've got Adonai. I've got Jehovah Shalom. I got peace. I've got uh, Jehovah Nisi. I've got God is my banner all the time, any day. He's all he's all mine. He's all mine. This is overwhelming to me. But then uh, you know you know God speaks to you and reminds you. And God asked me one day. I was studying this. And I said, God, God, I'm just overwhelmed. And God spoke to me and says, Chuck, how much of me do you want? And I just froze. But God spoke to me. He said, Chuck, you know who I am. How much of me do you want? Do you want me to fight your battles? Do you want me to be your peace? Do, we want, do you want me to sanctify you and set you to fight? Do you want me to be Jehovah who calls you to righteousness? Who, how much of me do you want? And I sat there. There was another one of those times where I just think, you know, God, how can I answer that? And I felt like I was, uh, I had just pulled up to a gas pump to, to uh, my, my pickup holds 25 gallons. And I just pulled up to a gas station and I stuck the pump over in my gas tank and I start filling it up. And that gas is coming from a tank the below ground, below ground that, that holds 25,000 gallons. And I'm trying to get 25. And I think, is that the way I am with God? That I'm satisfied with 25 when he's offering me 25,000? And I thought, you know, but God says, how much of me do you want? But what he was saying is, how much do you want to lean on me? How much do you want to depend? How much do you want to trust me? How much do you want to depend on me? How much am I your God? That's what he was saying. You know me now. How much of me do you want? Let me tell you one other thing, and I'll quit with this. One other thing. I keep coming promise you I'm going to quit. <laughs> I, uh, I realized that when Jesus died on the cross, I was a non-Christian, okay? I, I'm a non-believer. I don't have anything to do with God, Jesus, Bible, anything. Okay? I'm a pagan. And Jesus died for me on the cross. And we talked about how it got dark. He paid for he, God caused the sins of the world to be laid on him. We talked about that. And Jesus paid for my sin. But you know the greatest thing that Jesus did for me? He gave me God. I was a foreigner. I had nothing to do with God. And when Jesus died on that cross, he gave me God. All that he, he gave me, all that I've been talking. I didn't have him. I was under his wrath. But when Jesus died on that cross, he gave me God, all of him for all the time. And I just fall down and say, God in heaven, I thank you. I am so overwhelmed by your goodness. 
But I wanted us to study the names of God because let me tell you, the, ma- the, the major struggles that you will have depend on what do you think about your God. Who is your God to you? And I wanted you to know tonight who that God is just to get a glimpse, a, a few ideas about who that God is that you call my God. When you have your struggles or you're going through life, do you realize who your God is? And that's what I wanted to communicate tonight. That changed my life. That was the fourth thing I got on my list. When I studied the names of God and I came to know the God that I call my God. And I wanted you to know, I think you might benefit from that. So I wanted to share that with you. That's the fourth thing. Tomorrow, I got number five. I can't even remember what it is right now, but... (laughs) I think I'll make up something between then. So let's, uh, you may pray or somebody else want to pray. Okay, I'll pray. (laughs) Father, it has been so full of joy just to think about who you are. And so much thankfulness and gratefulness as we contemplate that you are our God, you have claimed us for yourself and you want to be all that you are to us all the time. Dear God, help us to want that, to trust you, to depend on you, to look to you for all that you are. Thank you for claiming us for yourself and to giving us all that you are. You did that through Jesus. Thank you. Amen.